0: I love being the bad guy. I love I love it. I hate being the good guy. Bad guy, you're free to do anything. You get away with murder. You can do anything you want. I'm not there for you to like me. I'm there to make you like the other guy. Welcome to the
1: next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Al Snow. Al is a professional wrestler and current owner of Ohio Valley Wrestling. He was an eight time WWF champion, including the European Championship, Tag Team Championship, and six times he held the Hardcore Championship belt. He currently lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and I've gotten to know this fascinating man and had to get him on my podcast. We will talk about a wide range of topics and you will get to understand how well rounded of a person Al Snow is and also get to hear some incredible stories on the ins and outs of professional wrestling. Al wrote a book and it's titled Self Help Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow, and you can follow him on social media at the real Al Snow on Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy. Al, welcome to the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you start off by talking uh, to the listeners about where you grew up, maybe sports you played growing up, and and how you ultimately got into wrestling.
0: Okay. Uh, I grew up in uh, Lima, Ohio. And for people that don't know where that's at, that's an hour south of Toledo. It's an hour north of Dayton, right on I-75, two hours from Detroit. So where I grew up, like you could be, for a football fan, you could be a Detroit Tigers fan. Yeah, um, Detroit, Detroit Lions, Lions. Yeah. you could be uh Bengals fan, you could be a um, Cleveland uh, Browns, you could have been a Chicago Bears, you could have been a Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, literally, we got all those teams. Baseball was the same way. Who'd you choose? Hockey. Uh, I went with Cincinnati with uh, with the uh, Bengals, you know, and, nice. uh, and, you know, historically, Ohio teams have to be, like, really bad for a really long time. So that when they do finally hit on a winning streak, it's like national news. Right. So,
1: you know. Well, and I grew up in Cincinnati, so I wasn't too oh, yeah. far from you. <laughs> yeah, you and, were down there. And I grew up, so I was born in 1986. Mm-hmm. So the Bengals didn't make the playoffs for – I mean, so they made it when I was really young. But right. after 1989-ish, they didn't make the playoffs till Marvin Lewis is, was there for a few years. I mean, that was a long time. And then everyone wanted to complain and everyone wanted to say, fire Marvin Lewis, get rid of Andy Dalton. I'm like, you guys don't understand. You guys make the playoffs every single year I'm playing in Buffalo on a 17-year playoff drought. Yeah. Just
0: accept it and roll with it. Hey, and and listen, none of the teams are as bad as the Islanders up in New York with uh, with hockey. I mean, how long has it been for them to, you know, see the light of day when it comes to anything as far as the championship is concerned?
1: I know it. And then you got the Rangers in town who (laughs) – just, it, but it, that's kind of the same dynamic Mets and Yankees up there as well.
0: True. And, uh, but, you know, in, in hockey, like Detroit was a big powerhouse for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, but, And I was a big Detroit fan, Red Wings fan for a long time. But then uh, they, they got to a point where they had they were almost like the Yankees where they were buying talent left and right. But then they'd get right into the playoffs and they'd choke every, right. every season. You know, they, would, they just couldn't bring it home. And there's no excuse because they had the budget and they had the talent roster that it was, it was almost a lock every season. But every season they get right to that point and then they'd die out. So so what sports did you play? Uh, I played football in junior high. I was a guard and tackle. I guarded the water can, tackled anybody that came near it. <laughs> nice. Sat on the bench the whole season. Uh, and then uh, took, I went and uh, got involved in a lot of martial arts for a while. Um, went through that phase. Um, and then I made the decision that I wanted to be a wrestler when I was 14. Wow. And... Um, started just that was that was it that was the sole focus i was i wanted to do that and um i took jiu-jitsu because of of the wrestling and uh did well with it enjoyed it but the whole time like i would like i don't li- i didn't live in the day and age that we do now where uh when i was 14 15 years old i would literally walk to the library because i didn't have a driver's license at that point and i would uh, they had uh phone books for all the major cities in the united states and, um, back in that day, you would get the wrestling magazines at like the local drugstore or bookshop. Right. And it would have a list of where the promotions were in what city. So I would go in the phone book uh, for Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd find Jim Crockett promotions and I'd find their phone number and then I would call them up and Hey, I want to be a wrestler. Will you train me? And it got to the point where I would every month I would call them every month and, they just got to where they recognize my voice and they go, Al, it's it, not today. Click and then I'd call another I'd call out in Minnesota to Vern Gagne's and out in the AWA and Minneapolis and yeah, quick bothering this kid, click and then I just keep calling and finally I got trained when I was eighteen when I got out of high school and, and uh that's all I've been doing ever since.
1: Wow. That's incredible. So it, it, in, a, in an industry like professional wrestling where yeah. it's extremely tough to get a big break. Yeah. That's very similar to football, baseball, basketball in a number of industries. It's sure. hard to get a big break. Is your number one piece of advice then is just keep knocking on doors, keep knocking until someone answers and someone gives you a chance?
0: My advice to anybody is if you want, you want something, uh, you can do it. You can do anything you want to do if you want it bad enough. If you don't, don't lie to yourself. You, you know, if you want it bad enough, you are going to find a way. If you don't, you are going to find an excuse. Is it going to be easy? No, but if you pursue what it is you are passionate about, what you want to do, and you pursue it simply because of the fact that you are passionate about it, it, you know, and you don't set a well. I've got to make it to this to consider myself successful. Like I've got to make it in football. I got to make it to the NFL mm-hmm. to consider, consider myself successful. If you had a career. Where you had incredible moments and lived what you wanted to live the way you wanted to live it, you know you're successful and unfortunately too many people set a you know well I've got to make it to this or I got to make it to that like today for professional wrestling you know I got to make it to WWE to consider that I'm you know even remotely successful and when I broke in uh, you know it was I just wanted to do it for a living that was it didn't matter for who or for what and you know um, and still to this day it's just, it's the same way I I don't pursue it or do it unless I really want to do it. So,
1: Yeah, that's a great point, and I, I like how you said that. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be the top to be success. And I remember in my football journey, you know, I didn't even start on my high school team as a junior. Yeah. So my goal when I was a junior in high school was not – to play in the NFL, my, my goal was to be a starter my senior year, right. was to get recruited, mm-hmm. and then I ultimately get a scholarship. And then I, get, I, I, then I say, okay, well, I'm probably the lowest-ranked recruit we got at the University of Louisville because I only had one scholarship. And there was a few other guys, I guess, that were on par with me because they only had one scholarship to Louisville as well. Yeah. But then your goal is, okay, now I want to get on the field. Okay, now I want to get drafted. And then your goals build. And ultimately the entire time, yes, if you asked me, did I have a dream of playing in the NFL – Absolutely, but there's a lot of steps. But the difference is, you had
0: that dream to play in the NFL because you just wanted to play. You know, you had a passion to be on the field and be in the center of it, and that's what drives you. It's not to just the reason that you want to be in in say WWE or want to be in the NFL is because that way you are able to do it and nothing else. Right? You don't have to do it as a pastime or a hobby. You get to do that for a living. You know, because let's face it, you still have to pay your bills. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I mean, God, if we could only figure that out, but, uh, you know, you still have to pay your bills, but it, you want to be able to do the thing that you love to do to be able to do it. And, you know, uh, the NFL is the gateway is the way to do it, but there are other ways. I'm sure like, just like there is in wrestling. I mean, you know, if you don't make it to the NFL, that doesn't mean that your career is completely done. And that, and unfortunately for a lot of players, I am, and I'm assuming because I'm not a I'm not a football player, but They just assume that, well, I've not made it to the NFL, my career's over, my dream's done, when there are other places like, you know, semi-pro teams and, you know, and as long as if you're pursuing it because you love to play the game and be on the field, what's it matter what the uniform is that you wear or where you're at and how much you're getting paid to do it? As long as you're getting paid to do it and that's what you do for a living, then you're successful.
1: Well, I think you hit it on the head. How much you're getting paid to do it, and and a lot of times nowadays those lower level leagues won't pay as much. And I was going to ask sure. this later in the show, but I'll ask it right now because it's pertinent. Yeah, a guy who you have a lot of experience with in your life and your career is Vince McMahon, and sure. he's starting this XFL back up again. Yeah, how confident are you that Vince McMahon could be the one person? to get a feeder system in the NFL. And I know it's a separate league, but ultimately if you're going to succeed, it's to be a feeder
0: system to the NFL. Not necessarily. If it says any way, his way, it won't be a feeder system. It will be a system that will work on uh, right uh, the same. Will it take years to get there? Certainly. But uh, a lot of people misunderstand the first time the launch of the XFL that it was a failure and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, You know, they, they let it die. He and um, uh, Dick Ebersole, Vince and Dick Ebersole, let that die um, because they wanted to turn their attention to other things, and it didn't just take off as quickly as they thought it would. Uh, but make, make no mistake, if Vince is doing it, he is not doing it with the goal in mind of being a feeder system. Gotcha. He is doing it with the goal in mind of becoming the XFL, and it plays in this season. And the audience will come. He is—he's taken a completely different approach than what he did the last time. Which last time was he just figured it was like wrestling, right? Okay, where he just dad yeah, throw it together, and you know, you just pitch it out there. And the teams didn't even get to scrimmage; they didn't get to practice together. I think they had two weeks to practice together before they were in front of, you know, the audience and uh, or the fans. And um, if you watch the progression of the games. Uh, the games started to get better as the season went on because the the guys started to gel. They started to work as a team. They started to, you know, know each other better and, and you know, work together. Um, and by the end of the season, the games were great. It just – the problem was the audience had had a bad taste right out of the gate and they didn't want to hang on. Yeah, so, so this
1: time they get some prep time and, man, unfortunately for them – this yeah. coronavirus deal happens and then their season gets cut short. But and it's a
0: blessing, you know, for them, I, I you know, in a curse. It's a curse because, of course, they're not going to be able to play the games. They're not going to be able to, to continue to compete and then may have that income coming in uh, from for the company, uh, for the brand. But ultimately it just gives Vince more time um, to build a better base and a better foundation that next year when he launches it again, he's going to, you know, it's going to be even stronger. What would you say –
1: what is Vince going to target as a way to get it up to the top? Is it marketing? Is it some of the exclusive player interviews on the sideline? Is it letting them drink in the locker room? Or is it just a total package of we are about entertainment and ultimately anything on TV is entertainment?
0: I don't think it's going to be ultimate. It's all about entertainment. I think he – because, you know, uh, granted everything that is on TV, and I do mean everything – news included is entertainment, right? It's a business. Um, it's not a, you know, like the news is not a portal for dispensation of information. That's it's the farthest thing from it. It's, it's to drive ratings and so they can make money. Um, and you know, the XFL is no different than the the NFL is, you know, it's a competitive situation. Absolutely. But it's still entertainment and it's still marketing and it's still brand driven, you know? Um, and, uh, you know Vince is going to do what he can to separate the XFL so it doesn't feel like the you know an audience is just watching a rehashed version of the NFL just later in the year um, he's going to he's going to come up with his own ways and his own ideas and I know that they've you know adjusted a lot of the rules as far as the XFL and the game to make it move faster and yeah. you know things like that um, and that's a big complaint I think for a lot of football fans that sometimes they, it drags a little bit um and we'll see. I mean, he – if you notice, like, the some of the things that he did in the first round of the NXFL back the back in the day, the NFL adapted and adopted a lot of those things that he used and they kind of poo-pooed on. Right. And now they're doing all of them. You know what I mean? Including camera work. I mean, hes he was the first one to bring the cameras in on the wires and shoot them across the field and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Uh, he he and he's very very smart in the sense that he knows how to surround himself with the right people and i believe that he has definitely because of the time frame that he has used he has surrounded himself with a army of people and then he's very intelligent in the fact that he then steps out of the way and he lets he does not step in and step on you if he's given you a position he's given you a responsibility that's what you do
1: yeah, I know their PR girl, Stephanie, personally, she's phenomenal, yeah. the girl that he brought in. I know Doug Whaley, our former GM for the Bills, brought him in for yeah. VP of uh, bringing in players for player personnel within the XFL. So you're exactly right. Let's get back sure. to wrestling. Okay. And so let's get back to your journey. Uh-huh. And so you you make this commitment at a young age that I want to be a wrestler. Right. It, I know it's a it 's a long journey to the show I did some research i I knew of your career. I knew that you had been in the e c w and then made it to the w w f and kind of bounced back and forth and but i didn't understand all that it took to get there uh-huh. um i won 't ask you to go through it all. But give the listeners a taste of what that journey was like, because I think so many people just think Al Snow just popped up on TV one day <laughs> and he's out there entertaining millions of people.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, in any vocation, you know, where there's where people pay to see you, they just assume that all the time that like, oh, you just came out of nowhere. But I started when I was eighteen, so I was yeah, It was in 1982. Like my first match was May 22nd of 1982. So. Uh, this year will be my 38th anniversary of being a professional wrestler. Um, and, you know, start like anybody else. I mean, I started at the bottom. Um, and in wrestling, uh, you serve one of two purposes. You're either the thing that motivates an audience to pay to see you, or you're one of the things that help. There is no third option. doesn't matter how athletic you are or how good you are in the ring. If nobody will buy a ticket and put their ass in a seat to watch you, you have no value. Right. So... Uh, you know, when I first started out, I was, I like to call it POOM plus one other match, or I was additional all-stars, or I was other exciting bouts, so my name wasn't even on the poster in any form or manner. So, I wasn't a factor in how many people showed up, so I got paid accordingly, which meant sometimes I didn't get paid hardly at all, or you know, barely anything. And, and uh, you know, I would drive hours all over the country, and I would, uh, you know, i back in that day, uh, microwaves weren't as prolific. Like, that that was a luxury item in your home, was a microwave. That's how old I am, just so you know. You're not that old. I, so, <laughs> whenever I bring this up and I talk about that stuff, people are like, what? And I'm like, because they don't understand. Like, now you walk into a gas station there's a microwave. Right. You know what I mean? So, I have to preface this so that people understand. Like, back in the day, I made so little money when, when from wrestling a lot of times that – um, and, you know, at night when you get done wrestling, you know, you got to go eat. So either I'd go eat at White Castle, which God help you. I love White Castle. I don't call them sliders for no reason. Brother. Right. Let me tell you. They slide in, they slide right out. But uh, um, I couldn't afford, like, they used to sell these. They were Stuart sandwiches, and they would sell them at the gas station. They were terrible. You know, or you get a can of Vienna sausages or Spam, things like that, because it didn't cost 45 50 and you're trying cents. to just get some protein. You'd, just trying to eat and uh but they taste a terrible cold so i got a boy scout mess kit um they're two uh, if anybody knows what they are like a camping mess kit they're two metal plates yeah and they one covers the other and they have a little metal strap that has a wing nut on it and so i'd put the vienna sausages or i'd put the stewart sandwich in there and then i would get some muffler tape and i'd stick it on the uh, manifold of the car and i'd drive down the road I'd let the heat from the engine heat up the food, and then I would wow. eat that. You know, Or if I had yesterday's White Castles still in the car, God help you for that, uh, I used to try to heat them up on the defroster. You know, In summertime, you're sweating in the car. Right. The windows are down. you got the defroster on. You're trying to heat the bag of White Castles up, and they never get warm. So I'd stick those in the uh, the old Boy Scout mesquite, and I'd get some muffler tape, and I'd stick it on the manifold of the car and drive down the road and – get the food warmed up to where it actually had some kind of flavor to it my
1: gosh i mean that's <laughs> sacrifice
0: i mean I tell well, it's my- not sacrifice well i mean honest to god i tell people all the time like you know i hear people oh, i pay your dues you do this i love what i did you know and that was probably one of the uh, happiest times of my life you know was just riding in the car and you know and, and riding for hours by myself and you know eating i never thought it was it was a bad deal you know what i mean i was. At the time, it was like, I just got to make do. I just got to do what I got to do to, you know, have something to eat. And and for those of you listening, if you want to try it, make sure you pop the lid like on the Vienna sausages, because if you don't, they'll explode. And right. they look like little fingers sticking the inside of the hood of your car. And then the engine smells horrible for about three weeks. Not that you'd know. Not that I would know. Yeah. But, <laughs> no. I, I
1: tell my wife all the time, when we go to the grocery and we can just pick food off oh, the yeah. shelves and... I look at more prices than she does at the grocery (laughs) store. Um, But I tell her all the time, and and I try and take a deep breath in those moments at times Uh just to appreciate it. And not – similar to you, I loved playing college football. Sure. But back then – We didn't get the big stipends they do now, and I'm happy they do. I am not one of those guys that says, oh, we should have got it, so they shouldn't get it. I'm happy they get more money now, and I'm happy they can provide all their meals for them because they should. Well, we used to not even be able to take a summer school class at Louisville in May, so a lot of guys went home. Well, I always stayed and trained here because I always thought, well, now I can get one-twelfth better than everybody else that went home because I'm going to stay and train with our trainers, I'm going to condition, and I'm going to make a name for myself in this month of May. This is going to be my hardest I ever work." Well, we don't get a scholarship check, so I had to try and stretch out my other scholarship checks to make it work. I paid my own car insurance, and we don't have any meals at, at for the rest of the year. We would get one meal a day. I would take, I mean, I would take as much food home as they'd let me, and then right. my meals would look like grilled chicken breasts and ramen noodles, and that would cost me literally ten cents worth of ramen noodles and a grilled chicken breast or two. Well, that's a pretty good meal. Yeah. Well, in May it was literally peanut butter and jellies and trail mix because they could give us trail mix, and then they could give us these nasty weight gain shakes at at the facility. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now when I go to the grocery and I can literally just grab the stuff I want. want. And and literally almost every day for lunch, I eat my breakfast. I intermittent fast, and and most days it will be smoked salmon and eggs and and avocado. And and I look at Leslie, I'm like, how lucky am I that I get to eat my favorite lunch any day I want to. Like, any how t- cool is that? But it wasn't like I was miserable. To your point, it wasn't like I was miserable at no. the time. You just appreciate it when you get it. And so you start off driving yourself around, and you're, and you're eating your Vienna sausages yeah, and your, and your and White Vienna Castles. Sausages. We might eat White Castles tonight. Um, but because uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty
0: dang good right now. It does. It does. I, You know, I, when I, at first, because at first when you smell them, you know that. When you first smell that bag of White Castles, you're like, yep. oh. And then you, you just – Start pounding them down. Yep. And then tomorrow, you know, (laughs) I
1: have a I have one quick story about White Castle. So when I was in high school, one of my buddies lived where we could walk to a White Castle. Yeah. And one time we brought up, uh, we scrounged up a bunch of change. We walked up there and we gave him all the change. And we it was at that time it was like thirteen bucks for a crave case. So thirty burgers was like thirteen dollars. Yeah. And they're mini burgers, similar to a Crystals. For all those out there that haven't been to a White Castle, it's like similar size to a Crystal burger. Well, we realized they didn't count it, but it just looked like a lot of change. Well, we had the correct amount. Well, then we started going down and down, and then we started getting crave cases for about $8 and change, and we never got caught. And. <laughs> we were we, we didn't care we didn't have a whole lot of money right. and, uh, and then you know four of us could split a crave case so you get seven or eight burgers for two dollars and change that was a pretty good deal but yeah. all right off that's like sp-
0: going to the buffet because you go to the buffet because you can eat as much as you want right so you get one big meal a day but then they we they all the boys would back all the wrestlers we called it the salad bar bump so, because everybody had a salad bar at the buffet. So, you go up, one guy goes up, drops a little dressing on the – because why they put tile floors around the salad bar, I have no idea. But they put tile floors, drop the dressing. The other guy comes up, slips on the dressing, takes a bump, lays on the floor, sells, the manager comes out, and then you get a free meal. So oh, that is <laughs> – that is kayfabe. It's not something you'd be proud of, yeah. but you know what I mean? You just, that's yeah. called selling. So. But you're
1: selling yourself. You're practicing for the show. <laughs> and and uh, so uh, on your way to the show, yeah. a lot of steps, a lot of characters. Yeah. How does Al Snow finally become created where you're walking into WCW or WWE
0: or WWF at the time yeah. with the mannequin head? Well, here's, uh, and that's that for wrestling, but really, just in general in life, it applies. And that is the most important, the one thing you're always selling, and people don't realize this, is you're selling you. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the most valuable asset you can ever create for yourself is to be able to have anybody be able to describe you to their friends and family in a sentence or less. The more they can just go, there's this guy, he's A, B, C, D, E. That's going to dictate just how successful you are. In any walk of life, I promise you. That's good stuff. But, the most imp- but in wrestling, it's invaluable. And for years, I didn't know that. And for a very long time, I, I, you know, I was a guy that uh, was I had developed a reputation for a lot of years as the best kept secret in wrestling, which it's a great compliment um, for about a year or two.
1: Yeah, and exactly. And it's like, hey,
0: let's start telling the secret, guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it was because I didn't have a definable... Uh, personality i didn't have that um thing that you could say hey there's this al snow guy and he's blah 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 um, as a performer and what had happened was uh i it was probably I'd, I'd probably been working 13 14 years i think at the time and um dan severin of USC, ufc fame uh dan and i trained for, as a professional wrestler Uh, and I knew that he could uh, go and make a living um, over in Japan. There was a company there called uh, UWFI, and it was a different style. It's actually the legit style of professional wrestling. Professional wrestling, a lot of people don't understand. Professional wrestling is catch wrestling. Catch wrestling is a combination of Greco-Roman and um, um, freestyle, but it's, it's submission wrestling. But they call it catch because you catch a hold. And um, you, the old days, you were either a shooter or a hooker. About 98% when I broke into business, 98% of the guys were shooters or hookers uh, to some degree. Um, shooter is, a, is an amateur wrestler. Shoots in on you, takes mm-hmm. you down, ties you up. A hooker was a guy that would hook a hold. So he'd hook, your, hook a joint. He'd literally hook your elbow, hook your wrist with the intent of trying to break it to get you to give up. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time being taught by uh, Al Costello, who was a noted hooker for a long time, and um, in the UWFI, I digress, uh, was a group of top Japanese wrestlers who uh, broke away from the standard Japanese promotion, started this alternative promotion, and really all they did, uh, because this is something that, it you know, People use the term fake when it comes to wrestling, and nothing can be further from the truth, and I can explain that misnomer. In Japan, what they did was they basically were the first people to acknowledge that the regular standard style of professional wrestling uh, was not a competitive situation. The only thing that's fake or the only thing that's not real in professional wrestling is not the physical things that are happening. It's the intent behind it. It's that we're actually trying to win, not lose. That's it. That's all we're trying to convince the audience of, not the moves. We're not trying to convince them of any of that. can never convince an audience of the physicality of what takes place in a wrestling ring. And the reason you can't is because nobody's ever done it. Right. That's why football, baseball, and basketball have enormous audiences in the United States because everybody's played those sports to some degree, even if it's just in your backyard, just in your driveway, taking a stick and hit a ball. You've played those some point most of – the population has played those at some point in their lives. That's why hockey has a bigger audience in Canada than it does in the United States. No doubt. More people have played hockey. That's why soccer is bigger all over the rest of the world than it is here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The the three biggest televised sporting events in the world are the World Cup of Soccer, the World Cup of Cricket, and the World Cup of Rugby. Wow,
1: I didn't realize that.
0: Super Bowl is nowhere near it. Those are the three most watched sporting events in the world. Because more people play those sports than the United States. There are more people now that are interested in the World Cup of Soccer because there are more generations of children that have been playing soccer. Mm -hmm. So, ipso facto, you develop an audience. As wrestlers, they do not know how much or what degree everything, literally everything we do in that ring physically hurts. And takes a toll. In fact, uh, people And so that's
1: are, why you're saying it's not fake
0: because- Because it's not. Yeah, It's the intent, though, behind it. The, yes. the competitive side of it. The belief that we're really trying to win and not lose. That's what we're selling. That's what we're trying to convince an audience of is, is that idea and who we are. Those are the two most important things. So this group broke away, and the only thing they did was they altered the style of what they were doing so they could more effectively sell that idea. They no longer threw each other into the ropes um, uh, and they all matches finished with either a knockout or a submission so really it was basically the UFC before the UFC okay gotcha um, and that's why the UFC has changed the rules and you see more of the fights end in a stand-up situation where they get guys get knocked out because the audience didn't understand when they go down on the ground and just exactly what's taking place and they get bored it's more exciting to see guys knock each other out mm-hmm. so um, but anyways, uh, so Dan, with his background as an amateur wrestler, he was a, a major star in amateur wrestling for many years. I knew that he could do really well in UWFI. I trained Dan for professional wrestling, and then Dan, this was at the in, at the inception of the UFC, uh, at the very beginning, um, took an interest, wanted to uh, go and compete in the UFC, um, which was much different. Then, than it is now. Comple- completely different animal. If anybody remembers what it was like, you uh, you fought different styles. Uh, you know, you didn't know who you were going to face, one, before you went there. Two, you could either fight a boxer, a uh, guy in long style, karate, short style. Um, you could face a Muay Thai guy. You could face uh, a sumo wrestler, a uh, white tiger kung fu. You know, I mean, the you didn't know who you were going to face because they were the the whole idea behind the UFC was to determine who, you know, what style was the best fight. And really, right. it was just a way to get over Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was what it was. Um, as the dominant fighting style, okay? Cuz 98 to 99% of all fights end up on the ground. Mhm. They bo- it's not boxing. Right. You know, street fights, not boxing. They end up on the ground. Right. So um Dan wanted to be a part of this. Uh, we, you know, we tried to get him in uh, to I think it was UFC three, um, and he couldn't do it. Uh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't bring him in. And then uh, an older lady, um, she was like a, a, a godmother to us all, wrestlers, professional wrestlers. Um, Phyllis Lee, she contacted him, and the one thing about Phyllis was that when she got a hold of something, she would not let it go. So. She just kept hounding him, hounding him, hounding him. Finally, they were like, yeah, we'll let Dan in. So Dan needed somebody to – Dan didn't – you know, wrestlers don't know how to punch and they don't know how to take a punch, things like that. So Dan and I – I trained Dan for UFC 4. A lot of people don't know that. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> it's like the reason I preface all that is like the training is not like it is now because now <laughs> it's – you know, you know you're going to face one particular guy. You got tapes of him. You go to you study a fight him. camp. You go to a fight camp. You know what I mean? There was no fight camp. We d- you didn't know. You had to fight. It was a tournament-style fight, and you didn't know who you were going to face or what style of fighter you were going to face till you got into – you came out. That's wild. You know, and, like, literally that night we were out in Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa. Uh, Dan faced a Muay Thai guy for the first fight. The second fight, he faced a guy that was, was long-style karate. And then the third guy was was Hoist Gracie with uh, jiu-jitsu. Holy so smokes. it's like, you know, and the, I remember the movie Thai guy had oiled himself up, so, he, you know, trying to keep Dan from keeping a hold of him. And listen, that, good luck on that. Dan's right. like wrestling a grizzly bear. I hated training with him. It was just miserable. God, it was terrible. But the reason I tell this story is because – at that time, I'd been wrestling for probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years. I'd went to Japan. I did um, shoot what they call, would call shoot fights, which were basically UFC fights, UFC-style fights, which was like the UWFI uh, for uh, uh, Koji Katao. Uh, at the time, Koji was the youngest. Uh, um, Yokozuna, which is a grand champion of sumo. Um, that's another thing people don't realize. Sumo's just as much work as professional wrestling. The outcome is predetermined. Really? Yeah. The lower cards and you know, things like that. They'll let the green boys beat the crap out of each other. But
1: I never realized that.
0: Yeah, it's a business. You know what else is also a work? Boxing. You know what else? Some UFC fight, <laughs> MMA fights. Wow. It's business. Right. There is no real sport anymore. Any, the NFL is not a real sport. It's a business. To the athletes, it's a sport to the owners to the TV to everyone else it's a business because when you have to start selling tickets and get admission that becomes a business right that's not a sport anymore so the olympics you, so are you not think
1: a sport. because i know as an athlete i am competing my tail off me and my teammates our coaches we're Absolutely. trying everything so you think that just ultimately the bigger cities the big markets at some point get some type of preferential treatment to make sure that there's a New York team that's decent, a Dallas, a West Coast team, and so that they're grabbing big money all over.
0: You don't you when you're talking not just millions of dollars.
1: Well, it's eight nine billion dollars. Billions in revenue of a year. dollars. Yeah,
0: you're yeah. just gonna leave that to chance.
1: Yeah, I mean. Hmm? It, it would make me feel a whole lot better to always assume that. But I'm not
0: saying, yes. you know, because I, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not going to speculate, and, I'm, and that's the thing is I try very difficultly to, to or I mean, I really try not to post, postulate an opinion in a public forum based on just information or, or assumption. You know what I mean? I don't know about NFL, NBA, Major League. I don't know any about that. I know that I've been in round boxing, and I've seen and know some of those fights that were set up. I've been around MMA fights that I know, you know, those guys went out there and punched each other in the face, and one guy went down at the right time. Right. He did business. So, I know that. So, that's not an assumption. So, I can't state that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. <clears throat> and I think everybody – as far as uh MMA and and for an audience and then I'll get back to my original topic. I'm sorry I have a conversational ADD. But no, I um, this is this is a fascinating conversation to me too. Um I think that the psychology of combat sports that even if it's just even a brief mo- you know because everybody tries to use it as a as a justification um you know in their minds of you know, when they come up to me, they'll say, yeah, oh, you know, that wrestling's fake. And I'm like, well, thanks, Angela Lansbury. How long did it take for you to piece those clues <laughs> together? I mean, thank God you just figured that out. Right. And we, Everybody's known in the United States, I know for a fact, since the 1920s. Okay? Um, that's, nothing, that's not a new revelation. And around the rest of the world, we won't even get into that com- topic of conversation. But it allows you to feel better about yourself to realize that you're not enjoying a human cockfight. Right, because when they come up and they go, "Hey, yeah, wrestling that's fake. Would you want it to be real?"
1: Yeah, some would, of the biggest baddest you, dudes on the planet. How would you want
0: to feel because here if it were real, here's the situation. Okay? That bell rings, I get to to the next the other at other human being, I get to do whatever I want to do that would normally have me in prison for felonious assault. Right. And nobody can stop me. Not even the referee, unless I break a break a rule or he gets to the ropes. I can feloniously assault that human being. I can put him in the hospital. Yeah,
1: and and then you're not making the next. You're not making the show the next night, right? You know. But ultimately, what, what's you the got point,
0: you know, and yeah. for an
1: audience. No, and I love that point too because there are times I enjoy watching a big UFC. I'm not going to oh, say yeah, I'm a, I'm not a huge. I don't watch every UFC fight that I comes on, but when you get the big time matches, yeah. the big time fighters, I will tune in. I'll pay for it but too. But the reason
0: why is but, because of who they are. Yeah, and but That's sometimes sold
1: it. yeah, and it's it's the build up to it yeah. as well, yeah. which is the entertainment, the That's pro right. wrestling aspect of it. But there's times where you see a dude genuinely like truly get knocked out or get pummeled where you want the fight called because you're like, man, that dude, I mean, just knowing what I know about brain injury and all that now, I'm like, they need to call this fight. This dude's not coming back from this. There's nothing good that's coming from this, but I never feel that way about a pro wrestling match. So you're right. Now, when you said that. It hurts, and there's real moves and real oh, pain. Absolutely. We got to go in a ring one time after a Monday Night Raw up in Buffalo one yeah. time, and we thought we were going to pop down on the mat like a trampoline. Right, and you hear it, it, it's it's an amplified sound, but that thud is real. And you're talking about dudes who are used to hitting the ground on a football field on a on a turf or grass field. Yeah, we're used to hitting that what 50 times a game. Yeah. We probably end up in some way, shape, or form hitting the ground. And we hit the wrestling ring, Matt, and we're like, Oh, I thought that would feel a lot better. <laughs> you know, give me that couple inches of grass and that softer
0: dirt. Well, they did a, uh, a physicist did a study um, one time back when I was with WWE. And um, he equated, he, you know, however a physicist, that's well beyond my pay grade. Um, I'm not going to be able to pull that off. But, you know, extrapolated that the physical force, that every time we would strike the mat, equated to about a 22 to 25 mile per hour car accident. <laughs> So – and that's not off the ropes, off the top rope or, or adding it to where you're running. That was where if you just stood there and threw yourself backwards onto the mat. So, you know, and I, and, and I, I, you know, I don't want to, to have the audience think that I'm beating a drum like, oh, wrestling's real or, you know, or whatever. I, I don't care. I don't care what you think. As long as you buy a ticket and you're entertained, that's all I care about. For sure. But, but <clears throat> um, the UFC, um, you know, Dan – was on the UFC. I was in his corner. I had known Jim Cornette, who had, at that time, had opened up uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was uh, a small territory. Um, God, probably in 1990. And, you know, i, I constantly trying to get booked there, try to, you know, because it was one of the few places still left that you could work on a regular basis. You weren't going to make a ton of money, but. Um, you could uh, get your film. Well, you could, you could work. You could do what you love to do. Um, and, uh, and he had TV, which meant I was going to get exposure, which now drives up my value. So never had an interest, you know, uh, just didn't have anything for me on the UFC. Um, because I have a tendency to be a little bit of a smart ass. I don't mean to be, but I, and I can be cynical and I can be, uh, where I talk down to people (laughs) and, uh, um, we get done with the second fight. Dan's standing there and the guy with the UFC, the, the commentator, comes up and he's like, you know, he knows that, you know, the next round, Dan's going to face Hoist Gracie. Hoist Gracie was God. And, you know, the Gracie family's running the thing and the whole deal. And he's trying to get Dan verbally to put Hoist over in some way. And I know it. I know what he's doing. Right. And for whatever reason, it pissed me off. So I, he's like, oh, Dan, what do you, you know, you just won this fight. You're going to go you know back to the locker room. What are you going to do next? I'm like, what a stupid question to ask. So I'm like, well, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go have sex. So I'm just being a smart aleck. So the guy just, you know, the commentator just pulls the mic away from Dan and just cuts us off and runs us, they run us back to the locker room. Well, Cornette was watching that pay-per-view that night. And so he saw a personality that he hadn't seen before. And that personality that he saw was what got me the opportunity to go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where I started working on a regular basis. And I was like a smart alecky, pick the fight type of guy, but then run, whenever the fight actually started, and um, then- which is a great acting job for someone of your stature. Oh, it was awesome. You know what I mean? It's I like- love doing it too. I love being the bad guy. I love, I love it. I hate being the good guy. Really? really? Oh yeah. Just hate it, for a lot of reasons. One, uh, bad guy, you're free to do anything. You get away with murder. You can do anything you want because you're the bad guy. You know what I mean? I'm not there for you to like me. I'm there to make you like the other guy. So I'm free to, you know. And within wrestling's like a dance. A lot of people think that it's all scripted and like we sit down and you know we, and they do. The talent these days do do that. Back in the day though, we don't. We didn't. We didn't do anything. We, you know, we just made it up as we went along. We would. You have some ideas, and we'd talk about a couple things which, which, that we call high spots prior to going out in the ring, but we always t- said, hey, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it, you know, it don't. doesn't matter. And there were nights, like, I've never met you in my life. And they'd be like, well, you and, you and Eric Wood, 15 minutes, you, you know, put, put Eric over. Oh, okay, which put Eric over means let you win, but it also means make you look good doing it, mm-hmm. okay? So I had developed the skill as a heel, as a, ba- a bad guy, to where I could make you look really good and still make myself look good and get what we call heat, uh, frustration, anger, a want, to where people still want to see me get my rear end kicked. So I'd never met you before. I'll walk to the ring as we're – you know, the ref's in there giving us instructions. Hey, how you doing, Eric? I'm Al. Yeah, hey, okay. Well, we're going over. Okay, let's do it. And then we just, we just make it up as we go. Wow. You know, um, and – uh just recently that like an old timer like me his name's George South very incredibly talented wrestler and this was like just in the recent past um we had to wrestle and like literally I showed up at the building didn't see him till we had 2 minutes before we go to the ring we argued over who was going to win cuz I was trying to let him win he was trying he's telling me no and then he purposely made sure that his entrance was first so he could go out and start yelling at the crowd and try to be a bad guy. So I couldn't. That's funny. And I was like, ooh, he did it again. And we went to – we literally talked for two minutes and argued over who was going to win. We got in the ring, and, I mean, the place was – tore the house down. Um, You know, and it was so much fun and to make people believe, buy into what we were doing and get that emotion out of them like they were really watching the real – competitive combative situation right you know and just making it up and you know if you asked anybody they'd have swore we sat down and literally planned every step out and we you know you don't but as a bad guy in the wrestling business you're the guy that leads the dance you tell the other guy i'll tell you what to do to me i'll put you in things just so you purposely for the express purposes you escaping it and so you look better than i do you know i'll and i'll make you look like a million bucks that's interesting, you know, and uh, it's 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 the rush uh, of doing it. The, the, you can't it, you get to be uh, when you walk out there, you get to be a rock star. You get to be a movie star. You get to be an action hero. You get to be a an actual athlete. You know, and you challenge yourself physically. There are times where you get certain guys. I mean, and they'll they'll work with you physical. I mean, they'll when they hit you, they hit you. They lay it in. Who I hit mean, the hardest? Uh, probably Bob Holly. Uh, <clears throat> we used to wrestle. We'd wrestle a lot, and I mean, he and I just, you know, one night. Oh my God, he had drop kicked me the night before. So like when I would, <laughs> you know, we. That's the other thing people don't understand. Like we don't have an off season, so like you know when I first started, it was no, it was not rare that you would work seven nights a week. Mm-hmm. You'd wrestle seven nights a week, you know, and uh, uh. When I first started with WWF, we would go out for, like, 14 days. We, Jim Ross was like, he, he, hey, boys, we're going to make a change. You guys are only going to wrestle 21 days a month. That's all. We're going to cap it off at 21. That means you got seven days off in a month. Yeah. Well, that didn't mean you got seven days altogether. You go out for 14, you went home for two. Gotcha. Then you went back out, and then you got three. Then, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't. It, it broke up. Three on, No, 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 off. no, 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 no. No, you, you were out. 14, 15, 16 days. We went to Germany and we were there for, I think, 19 days straight back in 95, you know, uh, just on the road, tour bus for hours. Oh my God. But it was fun. Um, but boy, Bob would, he'd, he'd, he'd just, he, you know, sometimes, and the nice thing is, is like some guys will lay it in and you put it, give it back to them and then they would come back in the locker room and complain. I was like, well, hold on a second here. You know, I don't have any respect for you now because you're now bitching because of what you did to me. I'm I just gave it back to you. That sounds like us
1: probably week starting about week 10 in practice when you're going against a guy in practice and you know I'm going against right. the guy who I've been going against the entire year and I'm hurting. And generally the guys I would go against in practice as the start me as a starter, those guys aren't playing on Sundays. Right. So they they're, but a lot of times, those guys are trying to get called up. And they're trying to jockey for your spot. Yes, and then they say, hey, if I can beat out Eric, then they're going to say, right. hey, maybe we should give him a shot in the game. Right. And, man, I, that that's how a lot of fights get started in the NFL. I'm sure. and, and But – you didn't have to go on Sunday. It's a different ball game. I don't need you to bust up one of my fingers to where I can hardly snap the ball. I don't need you to give me an AC sprain on my shoulder where right. you separate my shoulder in practice, which happened and happened. But I respected those guys sure. tremendously. But I would have a a lot of times Because you'd have
0: done the same thing if you were in the yes, same spot. Yes, but
1: I would tell them. I'd be like, look, bro, you've got to meet me halfway here. Like, hey, when we go one-on-one pass pro and you're going against another dude – you go get it. But sure. when you're reading off of a card and you know what we're gonna do anyways, that's and you're f- supposed to be playing their defense and their style. Yeah. That's your you're called it's a show team, a look squad for a reason. Right. I know what you're doing and I respect you. You know I I would tell them a lot of times, you you wanna know how you earn more respect in this organization? Not by doing that. It's you get out to practice early, you stay late. You come to the weight room early. You watch more film, and you put in the work that way. Right. Because come week 10, you know, I got to get to the game Sunday. Right. You know, that game's coming no matter what, no matter if you bust up my shoulder or bust me in the head and practice this week.
0: Yeah. Well, you, some guys in wrestling, will they'll work with you what we call stiff, and then if you give it back to them, they'll cry. They'll complain in the locker room. And those guys I just don't really, you know, I don't care. Care for, but Bob, you—he'd give it to you. and You give it back to him. He didn't care, I you know. And he was—he was really good. He was really solid. Just sometimes he'd get a little, you know. So one night where I forget where it was at, the night before, but he had drop kicked me, in the and I took it and caught me in the arm, and it, for whatever reason I didn't feel it at the time, but the next day I had a huge lump on my arm, like right by my tricep, and it went horizontally out. It was just enormous. So we get in the ring. And we're, you know, we face off, and I get right up in his face, and I'm, and I'm, I just go, look, whatever you do, do not touch my left arm, please. Oh, it was my right arm, it was my right arm. I said, please, just don't touch my right arm. You drop kicked me last night, and a huge knot. He could see it, and he goes, oh, don't worry. And He starts rubbing my arm, and he hauls off and smacks it as hard as he can, just as a joke, right? right. And it was it hurt so bad, Eric. I swear to God, I stood there and I just I could I went speechless. I just like <laughs> I couldn't believe he did it. You know what I mean? And I'm in front of the audience, like I can't I, I just like it he slapped it so hard, the ref even jumped, like the sound. He oh, kinda and man. I just oh and it hurts so bad and I'm just standing there shaking and then he comes up and gets in my face again and he starts to touch my arm and I just head butted him right between the eyes as hard as I could and he o- almost knocked him out. And then he stood up, and we, he started laughing, I started laughing, and we just went on about the match. <laughs> but That's you know, hilarious. But he would, you know, he'd hit you. You know, guys like uh, Bret Hart, you know, because the skill, the art, is to convince the audience that it's real. The intent behind what you're doing is real. So, you, you know, and throwing a punch is not easy. To throw a real punch mechanically, physically, there are, is a technique, and to throw it correctly – and then never touch the guy. Right, and stomp your foot at the same time. Well, you or- don't st- they, they think you stomp your foot because you're trying to make noise. What you're trying to do is you're trying to transfer the energy from your punch, your hand, into your, the rest of your body. Because gotcha. everything is your hips. So even when you don't move anything on your body, your arms, your legs, they, don't, they, they move independently of themselves. But the only thing that moves on your body are your hips. That's it. When you're on the floor, you're not picking everything up. You're picking your hips up off the floor, and everything else goes along for the ride. If I grab you right now, the way I'm going to control you is either through your head or your hips because your head dictates direction. Your hips are what I'm trying to move. I'm not trying to move anything else. I'm only trying to move your hips. So when I'm throwing a punch, I'm not trying to throw my hand. I'm trying to throw my hips so that my hand gets launched like a baseball. Yeah. As fast Because the faster I can throw that hand, the harder the impact. That's why smaller guys, you don't take for granted that they can't knock your lights out because you see guys, big brawny guys, you know what I mean? You're oh, that guy's, you know, I don't want to mess with him. He's just like hitting a golf ball. Just same thing. Same thing. It's just that your hand is the club and you're trying to accelerate it as fast as possible in the best acceleration. That's why Bruce Lee was able to generate a one inch punch was because he literally used his hips and turned his whole body to accelerate So that by the time his hand hit his hand, his hand moving one inch was traveling so fast that it generated that kind of force. That's awesome. So, uh, but uh, you know that's why you see the guy. A lot of guys will stomp because they're trying to transfer that weight, that movement, and into the uh, opposite leg of whatever hand they've thrown, and not not to make the noise. And the noise does help for an audience, but it's really to try to pull that punch while you're still putting it. To some degree, all the way through, so
1: that's great stuff. Me.
0: Quickly, when yes. you
1: and, – And I, I talked to John Cena. They had a pay per view up in Buffalo one year. Uh-huh. Uh, my, it was my little brother's birthday. Uh-huh. We'll say he was twenty one for the sake of the story. Sure, um, but. <laughs> So my little brother's a huge pro wrestling fan, still is to this day. Thank God, Um, otherwise I wouldn't have a job. Well, and and we grew up huge pro wrestling fans. The best sporting event we ever went to as a kid, my dad surprised us with SmackDown tickets. We sat in the third row, and, man, what an awesome night that was. And it was just incredible. That was when uh, you all were rolling. It was Stone Cold, The Rock. Kane Undertaker. I mean it was yeah, in, in my opinion one of the peaks of pro wrestling, but I understand when you have a product that's been around since the 20s and now we're at 2020. Yeah. It is that's a long period of time. So, but for my personal interest, the just the peak of wrestling, so much charisma, so many storylines sure. and all that. But what so we got to go back on Cena's bus after the show. John Cena played college football with our strength coach with the <laughs> Bills. Yeah. And so for his birthday take him to a pay-per-view, and then take him on Cena, who was the heavyweight champion at the sure. time, go on his bus and drink beer with him. Yeah. I mean, one of the coolest things ever. And uh, Cena's a great guy. Yeah, he – he. I mean, he's, he's – very down-to-earth. Oh, you know my gosh. I mean? and, yeah. and now he's turning into an absolute star. I mean, you're talking one of the biggest movie stars out there as well. Sure. But he was describing the weekly schedule. Yep. And, and just briefly, because I don't think people understand, you see big-time guys, you see them on – Sunday, sometimes you see him on Monday nights, you see him Thursday nights. Right. But what's a real
0: schedule like? Well, with WWE, like when I was there, um, the schedule used to be, like I would tell you, like we'd go out 14, 15, 16 days or whatever, or 10 or 9, um, and then we'd go home for 2 or 3 and then back out. Uh, uh, I know back in the day, it was not unheard of the guys were on the road, and I mean on the road. Like in the '80s, when it was really hot in the '80s, guys would be on the road for 280, 290 days without ever going home. Mm. You know, uh, then they'd only go home for a couple days, and then right back out on the road. Um, the it, in, wrestling is a very, it's a very interesting business. It's very unique. It's very dichotomous. It's very oxymoronic, if that's even a word. It is. Uh, in the sense that. Um. you will have to go out as a performer and you have to be a star. You have to make yourself a star. Vince McMahon does not make John Cena a star. John Cena makes John Cena a star and then Vince capitalizes and gives him a platform to do it, capitalizes and then exploits and t- promotes and together they make money. Mm-hmm. It's very much... And you don't really win in wrestling and you don't really lose. So you need the other guy to help you to be a star but he's trying to be a star at the same time you know it's 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 very weird and um but the pressure is it like you know which in the nfl like you were just discussing about you know somebody wanting to try and take your spot and how they're playing and the think of that but that's Seven days a week, right? You know,
1: yeah. Because people don't realize. Yes, they did a pay per view in Buffalo, right. and then Raw is in Cleveland on Monday night.
0: Smackdowns on Tuesday, and that's in another town. Ta- that's in, yeah. So you're hitting. Line, that's in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then, but you had a live event on Friday. You had a live event on Saturday. Now you had the pay per view on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Now here's the stress. You. You're selling the team. You're selling the Buffalo Bills. You as a player, though, are a part of that team, and it's success. I'm selling me. Right. The audience doesn't care that I've been on the road since actually last Tuesday because I didn't go home because I had to go do personal appearances. I had to go do public publicity things. I had to, you know, and they don't care that you don't know the backstage. When I showed up at noon that, that day – I have to show up at noon on pay per views TV. Um, I don't get to show up at 5 in the evening or 6 o'clock. I have to show up at noon. I get to eat catering, and then I got to go and I got to go to the what we call the pre tape room where I got to do promotional spots for this network, this show, and you know, all over the world. And it might take an hour of doing all of that on all three of those the pay per view and the two TV days as well. I got to call radio stations. I got to go. The television station is going to show up. They send you out to get interviewed. You're always on. You're always working to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Even if you go home, uh, we got a media day. Al, can you? You know, you know. We've. It's a. It's a three-hour radio tour. Um, you know, it'll be from eight in the morning until you know, you know, eleven o'clock or something. Can you do it? And you don't want to say no because then you, you know, then you lose an opportunity. You know, so even on your day off, you know. But, uh, and typically the schedule now is, you know, when I was there, it became a schedule of you went out on the road Friday, you had a live event Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or pay-per-view, then you had TV Monday and Tuesday. You went home Wednesday, so you got home in the afternoon, Wednesday, and then you had Thursday, then you were back out Friday. And then on that day and a half home, you might have to, you know, like I said, do a media day, you know, you, you don't just get the day and a half home you that's not going to happen. And, uh, and you're just, you're running. I mean, you, and you may, they may, if they really like a guy like John Cena, they might fly you in and fly you home and then they'll send a plane to pick you up because you got to go somewhere else, you know, on that day off so that then they can take you from there to somewhere else, to somewhere else for pul- publicity and media and then fly you Friday to, to you know, the house show, the live event. But the, crazy, the thing is, and this is a lot of the stress, is that you're only as good as the last time you wrestled. Doesn't matter right. even, even if you're John Cena, okay? You're The Rock. You're Steve Austin. You're only as good as the last time you wrestled. And they're always, always, you know, the boys are always, they're like sharks. They're, they're waiting. The guy playing opposite you for those practice games, he's wanting your spot. Well, these guys are wanting yours. You make one mistake. You slip up. You don't deliver. You don't hit a home run. You don't get a touchdown. You're off the team. And the audience now, okay, they didn't pay. If you're in you're in Louisville, Kentucky, they don't care that you've been on the road for the last 22 days. They don't care that you're sick, you got the flu. They don't care that you might have a broken ankle or a broken toe or a dislocated shoulder or an AC sprain. They don't care. They bought a ticket. To buy, see a product, which is you, and you now have to give them what you sold them, and if you don't, they won't buy to see, pay to see you again. If you don't, you're gone.
1: And that leads me to my next question, and yeah. I actually asked this to Jerry the King Lawler at a Monday Night Raw. I sat right behind him. That uh, guy's brilliant. So the I said, older
0: I get, the more I become a fan of you know, you know how. Talented he really is.
1: Talented, enthusiastic. Yeah. Bring it every night because he
0: loves what he does. You know and, what I mean?
1: Well, and so I asked <clears> him. <throat> I said, because it's a Monday Night Raw, and they had a pay per view uh, somewhere else this year. They had a pay per view Sunday night. He's doing Raw in Buffalo the
0: next night. And understand too, he doesn't like a lot of commentators attend a, uh, a pre show meeting and all that. He screws off the whole day and he shows up. He off just the cuff. off the cuff. Like wow. Like it's nothing.
1: So I asked him, I said, how do you get up for every show? You know what I mean? Because yeah. you have to be on every single show. You're only as good as your last one. That's right. If he, I mean, and especially nowadays, I, you know, I probably asked him this in 2012-ish. That's yeah. social media time. That's YouTube. I mean, he is one YouTube clip away yep. of being unenthusiastic, not being into it, to where, you know, he's done it for long enough. I'm sure he gets more than one. But, like, if he, he's off for a week, he's done. And I said, how do you get up for it every night? And he Shows me a Red Bull under the table. It's 10 o'clock at night. And he's like, you know, you get caffeinated. You do what you got to do. You, you know, this is your job. Right. There's obviously nights that you went out in the ring. Is it caffeine? Is it, you know, psyching yourself up? Because this, this relates to people that wake up for their job every day that don't necessarily want to – you know what I mean? This, yeah. is, this, is,
0: this, is, this relates to anybody. Yeah. How would you get up for each match? Uh, you know, the, I, this may sound crazy. And I and Lawler is giving you the simple answer is that it's Red Bull, but it's because he loves what he does. Yeah, he people don't realize as at his age. Every weekend he is wrestling at least once or twice every week, on a weekend for these uh, what the independent wrestling shows, he's in the ring wrestling. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, he is every week. He doesn't need the money, Eric. He is financially, he has been financially set for decades. He does not need the money. He is in the ring every single week. Mick Foley doesn't need the money. He's not in the ring, but he's out doing shows. He's out, you know, promoting. He's out doing personal appearances, you know, and, and the minute he needs to turn it on, turns it on. Was Mick Foley your favorite rivalry throughout your career? Oh, it's an unfortunate rivalry. The guy's got like an obsession with me. You'd think he had like a (laughs) sexual crush on me or something like that. (laughs) He, you know, back, I always say this uh, about Mick, you know, he, you know, back in the day, like he'd go in the locker room and tell everybody, oh, I want to be a stand up comedian. We'd all laugh, you know. Now he's a stand up comedian. Right. Nobody's, and nobody's laughing. So it's a joke.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No one's laughing at
0: him. They're laughing with him. Oh, they're laughing at him, but, um, uh, yeah, I, Mick and I are good friends, and you know we used to travel together, and we do the verbal. We it started just in the car where we were doing the verbal back and forth, and we likened it to like a boxing match. So you get a standing aid or you knock the guy out. I cannot tell you the number of times verbally I've knocked him completely out. And then he took it once the onset of the internet and everything else. He took it and ran with it out in public. But I love it because people are like, "Don't you get upset that he's you know he's always talking about you?" I'm like, "No." He keeps me relevant. Exactly. Keeps, That's what I was just going to say. Keeps me in public's eye. You know. You know, he doesn't do a show without mentioning me, and it's awesome. So I'm like, please keep doing it.
1: Yeah. Uh, you now know. your social media just keeps climbing just in numbers. Keeps and- going
0: crazy. because yeah. He just can't. He can't stop. But I, to your answer your question, and it'll sound passe to say it, but it, it, it's because I, you know, guys like that, myself, like once I walked through the curtain, I was up. You know, if if ever a day were to come where like I'd stand in front of the curtain, and I'd immediately, right before I'm about to go, I have to go to the bathroom. Like I, that nervous, like ah oh, man, I feel like I got, you know, I got to pee. I gotta go. Oh, it's killing me. Go through the curtain, gone. But it was ner- It's that anticipation. It's
1: um. I heard it described one time by um, someone a lot smarter than me. Uh, uh, so, uh, a, a doctor, in some sense, was saying that that's a biological deal to where. When you get in fight-or-flight mode, when your adrenaline spikes yeah. because you're about to hit a situation that you're uncomfortable with, that's your primal instinct to release your bowels yeah. to defend yourself from a predator. That's like our ancient primal instinct. Right. That's why, guys, before when you go in an NFL locker room between the warm-ups and the actual time you run out of the tunnel, the stalls are all taken. Yeah. And it's because it's that primal but instinct in that goes in away
0: – I know then if that goes away, I'm done. You know what I mean? For I sure. I probably quit.
1: And that's what I always said about football. Unfortunately, my career ended with a neck injury yeah. because I would have kept playing. I had as much fun. I probably had more fun in year nine than I even did earlier because I started to enjoy it a lot more. I took a lot of started the pressure relax, off. Yeah. yeah, I took a lot of the pressure off myself where early in my career I got hurt a bunch. I was a first-round pick. I was worried about being labeled a bust. Well, at year nine, I was confident in my ability. I loved my role on the team. Yeah. I had signed another front-loaded contract to where the, if they ever cut me, it would have been great for me financially, yeah. um, and that's just having a good agent and a, and a team that appreciates you and knows that i'm going to show up even if they pay me my money up front. Right. They know right. I'm still going to show up and go you have a value. bang my head against everybody, you know yeah. I'm still going to play physical even if they pay me up front, but right. I say all that, I still really enjoyed it and and uh, you know I was going to ask you, but you but you answered it, you know that when you're going out of the tunnel when you're going out from behind the curtain and your entrance music's going, I mean, that's something you just can't replicate in life. And you, I know you said you like playing the bad guy, but as I was explaining to my kids and showing them videos earlier of who was coming over today to do a podcast, Uh I was showing them your entrance and they were like, Oh my (laughs) gosh, look at this. Like, look at this crowd. And I mean, that's gotta be one of the, it's an unreplicable feeling.
0: Oh, it is. I mean, you know, and once you get in there, you get to do the entrance and once you get in there and, and and to be able to physically tell a story, that's the art of professional wrestling is to physically tell a story within a competitive situation to that where you can capture people's emotions and, and get them to where uh, the home run for me is if I can get you to the point to where you're so emotionally caught up with what I'm doing, you take some kind of physical action. Whether you stand up or you clap or or you try to come over the rail, if I can get you to feel that kind of emotion, that kind of reaction out of you, then that—that's the, that's the, you know, and if I can tell you a story, and I can control how you feel, how much you feel throughout that, there's no bigger rush in the world than that. In the meantime, I'm... You know the, you know what it's like when you're out there on the field and you're getting hit and your blood's running and you're right. like, yeah, let's do it again. You know what I mean? Exactly. And you're and
1: you, laughing when you take a big hit, as opposed to if you your right. adrenaline wasn't going, right? You'd you'd be miserable.
0: It's 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 probably one of the most amazing feelings. And when you like to your point, when you walk through that curtain and the crowd does whatever they do immediately as you walk through. Um, you know, it's, it's such a rush. I mean, you can't. Because
1: even if they're booing you, that probably makes you want to crack uh, up laughing. You're like, love this it. is awesome. I love it. Yeah, it,
0: keep it coming. Because I'm going to try and make it more. I'm going to try to get you to where you hate me. I'm going to try. My goal is to try to have you, if I'm the bad guy, I'm going to try to have you come over the rail and try to stab me. That's my, that's my objective, is to push that button on you to that point psychologically to where I drive you to take that kind of extent of physical action to where you want to. If that's a home run for me. If you hit the ring, back in the day, we used to have lots of people would, you know, they always forget you got to come through the middle or underneath the bottom rope. I just stand there. If I see you coming, i just kick you in the head, you know, (laughs) just like, what are you doing? Or I'll stand on your head. You know, I'll literally put all my weight on your head and just leave you until the security come up. They start beating you up and take you out.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: But, you know, it's like, what do you think you're going to accomplish? That's awesome. Then I'm inside. I'm like, just elated. That I have I have gotten somebody so emotionally swept up that they they hit the ring. Yeah, they you know, and it's a dangerous thing for 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 me or for the wrestlers. No because, doubt, you know, you never know what they're doing or if they're going to come with a knife or you know you know. And there's plenty of stories of back in the day. You know, like Roddy Piper got stabbed. I know Ole Anderson, one of the wrestlers, he had gotten cut. Uh, um, a guy came out in Minnesota years ago in a full, and I don't know how this ever God was watching over everybody that day. It was a full sold-out arena, and came in and, and had a pistol and shot at the ring and literally hit no one. Didn't hit anybody on the opposite side in the audience and didn't hit anybody in the ring. Wow, you know, but Gosh. It, it's that. You your objective is to try to to create that emotional. Yeah. Because that know. emotion, yeah, and
1: that's – I always say, everyone – we're recording this in Louisville, Kentucky, where we both live. Yeah. And everyone's a Cards fan or a Cats fan, and someone will say to me, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm a New England Patriots fan, and I'm a Bills player. I say, no, no, no. Oh. Those rivalries, that emotion that excites is that's what, what makes it. sports fun. If there was no rivalries, if people didn't – I don't want to say you hate –
0: You hate a player. You hate a team, though. Right. And that's what makes sports fun. But even if you hate a player, you're so driven that you'll buy a ticket. You know, Muhammad Ali was was awesome. You know what I mean? You cannot deny probably one of the greatest boxers ever in the history of boxing. Period. No, bar none. Period. You know what I mean? Uh, Because what people don't understand, the art of boxing, the science of boxing, is be able to hit without being hit. That's why – They win by decision as the judges sit around and decide who landed the most punches without getting hit back. Mm -hmm. You know, not to knock a guy out, but to be able to punch without being punched. And he, he, you know, Tyson was awesome, but he took a lot more shots than uh, Ali ever did. You know what I mean? And uh, but Ali was he was so masterful in eliciting an emotional response out of an audience that drove them to want to buy a ticket to do nothing more than to see him lose. You know, they just wanted to show up and see him lose. And he didn't care. Right. It it mattered to him. It meant something to him that he was that good that he could not just outbox every guy that he was fighting and win the actual fight. But he could also pull the audience in to want to watch the fight and see how good he was. That's great stuff. Yeah.
1: All right. I I got some wrestling questions. Sure. You can give me. One word, two word, just one sentence answers to these. Sure. How much beer when Stone Cold cracks two beers against each other and pours them at his face? How much? How much of those two beers is he actually drinking? Well, he's
0: shooting for probably hundred percent, but he's probably got forty. I'd say forty percent. So of he it. is actually drinking. It's oh, not the old yeah.
1: country music singer, no. you know, <laughs> drinking a
0: solo cup and pretending like they're drinking. See, that's out there. one thing people don't understand. Steve Austin is Steve Austin. Okay, the Undertaker is Undertaker. They if they were not those people that it wouldn't work. They are who they are. It just they turn the volume up really loud. Mm-hmm. They you know, when you want, you know how it is, and, and like and I you know, women do the women thing. They walk in the room, they want to take control of the room, they just turn up that whatever aspect and people stop. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and my dad used to always say the difference between a pretty girl, a beautiful girl, and a gorgeous one is that when the pretty girl walks in the room, all the men stop and stare. When a beautiful woman walks in a room, men and women will stop and stare. When a gorgeous woman walks in the room, the room stops. That's good stuff. And it's not the looks, because people equate that to physical attractiveness. It's how did they walk in the room? Did they walk in the room, and did the pretty girl and the beautiful girl worry about, oh, I hope these people like me, because the gorgeous woman walked in the room, and she didn't care. Yeah. And that's the difference. Steve Austin walks in. He's Steve Austin. He just Vince McMahon is Vince McMahon. Okay, that's why it works because he's when he comes out there, he's just a caricature. He's turned that volume up on Vince McMahon. You know Stephanie Hunter, all of them. That's why they work. The Rock, that's who they really are. And um, you just whoop turn that volume up. So he drink. He loves beer. (laughs) How tall is the Big Show? Big Show is, I think, probably around seven one, seven two. So he's legit that tall. Yeah, he and he is incredibly strong. Like right now, I weigh two forty. At the time when I, you know I'd wrestle him, I'd probably two thirty at the time. Um, and uh, we did one thing one night. I was you know wrestling Paul, and I you know he was on one knee, one knee and on a on a foot, and he I was over top of him and had him grab me like uh, press, like you know hands up underneath. I said, you can, I want you to stand up with me. And that's not easy. You know, I'm 230 live. Right. Weight. Yeah, it's not a barbell. Well, he stood up with me and pressed me on up. Like, you know, and I'm stiffening up, you know, trying to help. <laughs> but, I mean, you're still picking up. You're, you're standing up off the mat with 230 pounds, live 230 pounds. And, I mean, he did it. And he's, he, is, he is a very, very strong individual. What's the worst
1: to get hit with? The steps leading up into the ring, a chair
0: or the garbage cans? Probably the chair. Chairs are bad. They're really bad. They hurt a lot. If they, you know, we used to take unprotected headshots all the time with the chair shots, and my God.
1: Yeah, that man. was like the famous. That was like almost every other match, especially you were doing all the hardcore matches. Yeah,
0: those, those did not. We're not friendly and they were not brain friendly. Me and the kids
1: watch you today. (laughs) More garbage cans
0: and stairs in the match that we watched. Yeah. Um, uh, And even when you get hit in the back, I mean, they, that actually, getting hit in the back actually is worse (laughs) than getting in the head. The head hurts like crazy, but the back's. You don't have a ton of nerve endings on your skull. Right. But that you get waffled across the back, boy, it just, it'll light you up. It just stings and you're like, oh, God.
1: Please. So Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he, he just appears to have this complete, genuine personality now. And he exposes oh, he it a lot through his social media. He's yeah. been like that since day
0: one? Yeah. Yeah, he's the same guy. He's a great guy. Yeah,
1: he seems phenomenal through he is his social a, he, media.
0: He, you know, uh, you know a lot, uh, some of the other wrestlers will downplay or, you know, oh, he's, he's this or he's that. A just, jealousy just jealousy yeah yeah he he really is a he's a terrific person yeah he seems phenomenal and, he, and god you know good for him I mean and, and I, I genuinely I you know I'm a competitive person like anybody is but I I never have subscribed to your candle burning dimmer is gonna make mine burn brighter you know what I mean if you, whatever you get like you said about you know the the guys these days in comparison to when you first started and they got the thing good for them god yep. bless them you know what I mean if you can get it go get it You know, I'm not going to hold it against you.
1: It's one of the worst energy zappers in this world (sighs) is when you dictate your energy, when you let something suck energy out of you because you are jealous of someone else's success or you're hating on someone else's. I hate to use the word hating, but I'm struggling for a better word than that. It's like when you can't stand that someone else is having success. That is one of the biggest energy zappers in life, and that'll just rob you of joy. You you should want to feel like someone else
0: having success does not mean that you cannot have success, no matter where you're at. And and it's 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 okay to be jealous. It's okay to look at somebody and kind of be envious, and that there's nothing wrong with that. But it, when you take it to the point to where you're like, oh we, man, that's you know he shouldn't have that, or what he gets it, good for him. You know what I mean? She gets it, good for her. I. I you know, I'm going to just try to figure out what I need to do to get what I can get, too. I mean, that's just it. I'm not going to try to take it away from you, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run my own race. So, I, and I feel bad for people that are so, you know, and that's, everybody deals with, you know, uh, these days with anxiety and, you know, all of this. And, and a lot of that comes from social media. It's a comparison but, game. Yeah, social media is not bad. It's how you use it that's bad. And when, you, you know, let's, it, listen, nothing's real. It's all fake. Mm-hmm. On media, if it has the word media behind it, it's fake. It's not real. Right. Okay. Even if it's about a real event, how you, it's all perception. It's all fake. So social media has got to be one of the fakest things because I'm only going to put good stuff up. I'm mm-hmm. not going to put, you know, or when I look terrible or, you know what I mean? I'm going to, and if I'm looking, if I'm putting it up on a looking terrible, I'm doing it for a reason. I'm doing it to get over another way. Yeah. OK, I'm not I'm not just I'm thinking everything through and so are you and so is everybody else. And you've got to stop looking at other people's feeds and going, oh, well, he's got this great life and mine sucks. And and doing this com- constant comparison I and mean, be grateful for what you have. And, you know, I don't think that people realize it in this country that the, almost three quarters of the rest of the population don't have electricity around the world. Right. <laughs> they don't even have electricity. You know, I've been in, and I've been very blessed. I've been in probably 43 or 44 different countries. You know, the last place I have to go is Antarctica, and then I've been on every continent on the earth. Um, I've been to India, Iceland, you know. And you go into India, and you're driving in one side of the road. There's these beautiful estates like your beautiful home here. And on the other side, there's somebody living in a hut. You think that you have it so bad, literally go down to Cancun and, because I literally rented a motorcycle, went for a ride over to the whatever one of the pyramids was. It's not the the one that you know you take the tour to. It's one by itself. Went off of this road and there are people living in gra- the roofs are thatch roofs. They're, they're leaves and they have a dirt floor and they live in this like they lived decades ago. You know right. what I mean? Centuries ago, they still live. It the only the walls are made of different. Material, but the floor is still dirt and the roof is still a thatched roof. That's in Mexico, just across Yeah, the it's not that far away. It's just down the road from Cancun, you know. Uh, there are a large portion of the population in the Middle East that still live in the desert like they did when you read the Bible. <laughs> I went and met a whole Bedouin tribe. They live out there. They still are nomads. They ride camels. Not because it's a circus attraction, because literally that's their means of transportation to get around. You know,
1: yeah, that that's that is
0: around the world, and you live in this country. And the biggest, you know, and I'm not downplaying in anybody's challenges or anything. Yeah, like that. please don't you know misunderstand. But you want you know our, one of our biggest challenges, like this, this thing we're going through with this COVID 19. You know, it, oh, it's so stressful, it's so hard. You're just being asked to sit at home, and two, four weeks ago, you were on social media complaining that you didn't get to just sit at home. And how much you hated people and hated to be around them. Yes. And now you get what you wanted and you're complaining about the fact that
1: you have to do this. And and, and this is our generation's mm-hmm. tough time. And a couple generations ago, that oh. was getting drafted to war. Me and one Boy. of the two of us would be going overseas to fight right now. question. And probably in a war that we didn't want anything to do with in well, the first place. None of place. us do. And so we're asked to stay home. We're, you know, and, and I'm 100% on Absolutely. the same page with you there. You mentioned the COVID-19. Let's get to recurring questions yeah. here, and these are awesome to compare. Sure. My newest recurring question yeah. is if, if we get on a strict quarantine where they're policing the streets like they did in Italy, yeah. and it's just you and your family and we your won't,
0: home. We won't, okay. because that's the other thing. Italy, it, he, culture is different around the world. That's really the only thing that separates us is culture and then the governments. They just make up stuff and tell you that you're, the other people are different. Quite, a, I've been in bars and restaurants literally all over the world, Eric, and I can tell you right now over here in a conversation here in the United States and over here in a conversation in Italy or in the Middle East, in Qatar, in Kuwait, uh, in Tokyo, Japan, they all have the same conversations. Same conversations. Your hopes, your dreams, your wants, your needs, exactly the same as that guy that lives halfway across the world or all the way around the other opposite side. They all care about their family. They want them to make sure they have a job. They hate taxes. You know what I mean, right? They, they want to. They want to buy a car. They want to buy a TV. They want to make sure that the kids are educated and that they have a good life. No different than you. They have the same hopes and dreams as you. Nothing different. Culture wise, yes. What's acceptable one place, what's offensive another. You know, uh, but personal distance. That in the United States, people don't realize our personal distance—not this social distancing thing—is typically about three to four feet. Sometimes two. You know what I mean? And the reason why is because geographically we have more land. Yeah. So we're used to it. Go over to UK. Go over to England. They live on an island. Your personal space shrinks. Makes sense. It gets smaller. You go to India. There are lots more people there. You go to China. Lots more people. Well, your personal space doesn't exist. Italy, the culture. Hey, how you doing, Eric? I'm going to hug you and I'm going to kiss you on the cheeks. Well, what do you think is going to happen if you have a disease?
1: Yeah, it's going to ramp It's rampant.
0: going to start to get passed around a lot. Yeah. You know, here we're frustrated if we have to shake hands. So
1: Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> All right, so we're going to pretend for a second. Okay. So it's just you and your family at your house. Right. And you can add one person yeah. to your
0: household for the, an extended period of time. Who is it? It's the Tiger King from Oklahoma. <laughs> nice. From Netflix. I'm putting that guy in my house. Because that guy is a shit show. I am not going to stop watching. I love that whole documentary. It is the most amazing show on TV. We got to we got to get on that. We we've drug our feet
1: on it. And you I have will
0: not regret it. it once you you'll regret that you've waited this long to watch it. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Everyone you think just when it can't get worse, it does. As soon as you think the next guy getting introduced can't be a bigger character, he is. <laughs> it just gets better and better and better, and they're all terrible. They're all terrible people. And I love every one of them. <laughs> Even the guy from across the river, wildlife in need, Tim Stark. Horrible human being. Just all of them. Just terrible. Carney, 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 horrible human beings. Oh, and I love funny. every one of them.
1: If you couldn't have been a pro wrestler, yeah. what would you have done? God, I have no idea. What would you have wanted? What would be another dream job? Do you have one? No, I didn't have
0: one. Man, that's probably why you're so successful. There's no option B. I, there wasn't. I didn't have a plan B. I maybe I should have. Especially now, when I'm too old to wrestle, I might have probably had a, a. I should have had another option, but no, I never. I never did. I never had another option. I just this was it. And What's was your a... favorite book? Uh, favorite book. Uh, I have two. Um, one is by Dean Koontz. It was Intensity. Um, it's amazing. Uh, it's a, it's more of a. It's a. A serial killer. He used to write, he'd write suspense novels, but and typically, you know, like, uh, I loved Stephen King for a long time, um, but boy, he just puts so much into ancillary characters that they don't mean anything to the story. But Dean Koontz, this, if you get the chance, you read Intensity, it kicks off right out of the gate, and it just gets, ramps up and gets more intense along the way. Um, And then there was uh, uh, comic books. I love reading comic books. I've read every because uh, being on the road i just would read constantly so i've read all the classics and all that literature but i read comic books because the writing is much more sophisticated uh for the last probably 10 or 12 15 years um and uh, uh called identity crisis dc put it out um and it's it's so well done but there's even better ones like if you get the black panther by Christopher Priest. Uh, you know, reinvented the, that. Uh, Grant Morrison reinvented Batman. The, the, the development of the character, the the depth that they put into it, and the, the sophistication uh, is is amazing.
1: You're a fascinating dude. What? <laughs> I'm excited to ask you about this
0: now. What uh, role does your faith play in your life? Um, well, that's an interesting question. To be honest, I don't have I don't believe in religion at all i think that it's a construct of man and i don't believe in man Uh, but i have faith i have absolute faith i have faith that i believe that there is a higher power i do uh, otherwise we are no more than just intellectual animals um that have an idea and a sense of self which and an ego because we actually have enough of an ego that we believe that we're the only animals on the planet that have a that sense of self we just because we can't communicate with other species doesn't mean that they don't aren't self-aware just as much as we are. Um, look at octopuses and the fact that, you know, how intelligent they are dolphins? I mean, we go going down the list, but, um, and, and I do believe that there is a higher power. I do believe that there, you know, whatever it is, I don't have the answer. Um, I'm not an atheist. Um, and, and, and if, and, and, and I believe that if you have, you need, a, you have a belief in religion, that's fine. Whatever works for you. Um, w- that's great, I, I have no problem with that, no issue with it whatsoever. Uh, for me, I just, I always have questions, and I always, you know, I was raised uh, religious, and, uh, and then I, and I actually, I was raised Protestant, uh, went to the church in Nazarene as a child. As I grew up, I started exploring and going to, you know, and I would go to Catholic churches. My uh, great uncle was a snake-handling Baptist. Those guys are <laughs> tremendous you have to go to if you ever have a chance go to one of those churches that is what a show that is it's amazing you're all about the entertainment hell yeah i am what for, why are we alive really other than you were here to just work and pay bills i'm here and i am going to figure out what's funny and, and ironic as much as possible, you cannot offend me. There is, and, you know, other than if you are a despicable person. What makes you a despicable person is you now take advantage of or are a predator on someone else. Other than that, you do whatever you want to do, as much as you want to do, as long as it's not nobody's getting victimized by it. Other than that, I don't care. You could believe in anything you want to believe. You can uh, you can identify as whatever you want to identify. And if you tell me you want me to call you whatever it is, I'll call it to you. I don't, you know, it means nothing to me. I'm not going to judge you at all, you, any, anything you want to pursue. You want to coat yourself in peanut butter <laughs> and wear adult diapers and put a rattle in your hand and run around the house and watch porn with your dog sitting beside you. I don't care. As long as the dog's a willing participant, I'm all for it. <laughs> you do what you want. I'm not going to judge you because I can't judge you. I ain't like I've got a clean slate. It ain't like I don't live in a glass house too, so I ain't going to be throwing rocks, you know what I mean? Right. And, I'm the, not and that's perfect.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, and in my opinion, there was only one perfect person and you know, we may differ on that, you know, and that's fine. And but, I don't know but, what it is. I don't but, know what yeah. he is
0: or who she is or, or or what entity it is. That's beyond my level of understanding. Let's make no mistake, though. It's beyond the level of everybody else's understanding, too. And anybody that's ever written about it or talked about it, it's beyond theirs.
1: Well, that's why, yeah, and that exact, that's exactly why it's called faith. Because ultimately you have to believe in something yes. that is
0: unseen, and that's why it's called faith. Going to be, Hey, listen, everybody has faith. You know why? I guarantee everybody has faith. Even the biggest, most dramatic atheist has faith. Because every night this- he goes to sleep, he has the faith he's going to wake up the next day. You ain't guaranteed tomorrow. There is no promise that when you go to bed tonight that you know for a fact that you're going to wake up. You have faith. You have hope that you are. If All you right. drive
1: in a car, you have faith that the other person that's driving the other way is f- not going to cross that double yellow. There, You know, I have faith in our builder that our roof's not going to fall on the two of us right now. What is your favorite <laughs> restaurant?
0: Favorite restaurant? Here in Louisville?
1: Anywhere. But Anywhere? In Louisville, might Oh, you know, I might oh, know that one, but
0: but uh, you don't have to necessarily choose that. Waffle House, nice. I well, you, love. Then you get them everywhere. Oh, and it is the uh, dinner and a show every time. It, it, I've got the greatest stories from Waffle House. I, I mean, for me personally, I think life is all about experiences, and there is no bad experience. It, does it? A lot of stuff suck. Sure. But will it give me an opportunity probably somewhere along the way to have a great story? Absolutely. Because i got to tell you, I've had some horrendous uh, like stuff that we could write a movie about. Like, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Maybe we should. Well, uh, you know, it, 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 like I made it up. But, and used to, I would, I would, you know, I'd be miserable. I would, But I look, I use it, and I go, you know what? At some point, we're going to all be sitting around drinking a beer, and I'm going to tell this story, and it's going to be amazing. Yep. You know? Like, Waffle House is great. And I think, personally, they should not shut them down. They should have all of us eating at Waffle House. It's like when you were a kid. You used to eat dirt. It made you tough. It increased your immune system. You never got sick when you were a kid, except for when other kids. And the the other kids were usually the ones that their parents kept them clean and never let them out of the house. You go to Waffle House, you're guaranteed you're probably going to get dirty silverware. And you go ahead and eat it. You want to get clean silverware, you go to IHOP, you go to Denny's. You want to get good food, dirty silverware, you go to Waffle House. Best That's... Waffle House story I've ever had. Waitress walks up to me, and this is a short one. I've got millions of them. She walks up with her thumb on my waffle, and she's about to set it down. And I go, excuse me, you got your thumb on my waffle. She goes, yeah, you want me to drop it again? And I go, well, again? no, I, I don't. And she just sat it down and walked away. <laughs> you know, and I, was, and I ate the waffle. I was like, well, what am I going to do?
1: I, so uh... – <laughs> And I'll be quick with my Waffle House story, too. Um, so I, I used to go to Waffle House all the time. When I first got in the NFL, my strength coach at Louisville, he had a garage set up, uh gym in his garage. We'd go train there on Saturday mornings when I was in the NFL, and then we'd always go tra- uh, eat at Waffle House. I had been there in years. He left, you know, a couple years when I was in the NFL. So maybe 2011 he leaves. Well, this year – my daughter, one of her favorite foods is waffles, and she's like, wait, there's a place called Waffle House, and you've never taken me there. I said, okay, before we go to dance, her dance practice, I said, we'll go to Waffle House. We do all these little daddy-daughter dates. Sure. So I take her there, and hey, we, we, walk, we walk in the door. It's pouring down rain outside. I'm not super excited about it. I'm, I, I, I admit I'm one of those – I like the trendier breakfast spots and all that. You I know? do too. Yeah, so we go in. I'm soaking wet. There's nowhere to sit. We had to sit at the bar. And, you know, I'm thinking she's going to fall off this. She's four. She's going to fall off of this deal. I don't have her iPad. They don't have anything to color with. I asked the waitress. I said, do you, do you guys have like a pencil and a piece of paper so my daughter can keep herself occupied And, and in this, this girl? And I only say this because it kind of caught my daughter off guard a little bit. She had a nose ring, multiple piercings. She was tattooed up to her neck. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, up to her face, on her neck. And she said, no, I don't, but my six-year-old, she has a coloring book and crans in my car. Let me go grab it. And I said, man, 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 please don't do that. It's pouring down rain. She said, no, I'll go grab it. She goes out to her car, grabs the coloring book and crans out of her car, brings it back in. She is now soaked. They work in dress shirts. Yep. She's now soaked for the rest of her shift, yep. probably. It is raining so hard outside. She proceeded to make conversation. I told her... Um, it was my son's birthday that morning, and he got one of those horses that you kind of buck on, and they maneuver themselves. Uh-huh. They're not battery-operated, but you can whip pretty good on these things. Yeah. And I told her about that, and she said, yeah, but those are, you know, they're like 100 bucks, and, you know, and and we couldn't get one. And and I don't say this because I'm trying to brag. I say this because what an impact she had on us. Uh, you know, I, I left her the amount for the horse. and That's awesome. And, and she would not let us, She before I tipped her, she wouldn't let us give the color – Co- uh, the colors coloring back in the coloring book back. Yeah. And,
0: and, I'm I, like, and listen, oh my, co- my gosh, it blew me away. My what I'm when I'm talking about Waffle House, it's not a disparagement, I, I at all. It it honestly, it's probably one of the places you're going to get the best service. You know what I mean? And and you're going to literally they will. It, we make jokes about it because they've got the small tables, but they'll bring your food out on separate plates because literally, if they only get half an order of bacon done, they'll bring you half an order so you can start eating. You know what I mean? They, yeah. And they're awesome. I, I'm the Patrick Swayze of Waffle House, and and around here in Louisville, like every person in Waffle House knows me when I walk in. They know my order. You know, I walk. I'm like Norm at Cheers. What I'll, is your order? Uh, I'll uh, usually I'll get now. I've changed it up once in a while. Um, I get the uh, it's the che- Philly cheese steak meat, and I'll get scrambled eggs, and I'll get one piece of cheese, and um, and I'll uh, double the order, and I'll, I don't want onions because I can't I, I hate onions, and I'll I'll get a Usually get a waffle, and they all keep a can of whipped cream because I don't like to put syrup on the waffle. I'll put whipped cream on the waffle, and they keep a can of whipped cream for me.
1: Yeah, you can't do the onions because all the White Castle you did. Oh, yeah. It's all the White Castle. All right,
0: quickly, what was your first car? Uh, It was a 1968 Dodge Monaco. Mm -hmm. Loved that car. If I could ever buy it again, I sold it for $500 so that I could buy a bus ticket to go to Charlotte, North Carolina so I could get the crap beat out of me um, trying to become a professional wrestler. I sold my first car for two hundred dollars. So,
1: I would say I got you beat, but I I lose there. <laughs> Who's the most famous person
0: in your phone? Uh, you know I don't know. I <laughs> I've got it's a lot one of, of those wrestlers. Uh, maybe maybe uh, I used to have Rock's phone number, the Rock's phone number, but it's probably changed. So. I won't make you call him. So hmm. if you got Kevin it, you Nash, know. maybe now you know Nash, he's a, big yeah, time. Yeah. Probably him. Uh, I think I still got John Cena's phone number, too. I just never, you know, don't call. Man, we're going to have a good time after this podcast (laughs) calling all these people. (laughs) What was your first job? Uh, Professional wrestler. Oh, no, I take that back. I was a dishwasher at an Italian restaurant in Lima, Ohio, so I could earn the money along with selling my car to go down and and, uh, have that tryout to become a professional wrestler. When you were wrestling in Buffalo, did you ever go to a place called Elio De Palo's? Yeah. uh, No, I never got to go to Elio De Palo's. I didn't even know it was there. I didn't you know, because you kind of get into a routine when you'd land in certain towns because out by the airport I knew where the the restaurants were. Um, I knew where the the Gold's Gym was, and you just kind of stayed in that area, and then you just went in for the arena, and then you'd go right back out because you were always out in by the uh, airport. Well, so. this,
1: this year, when the Bills are playing a game in Buffalo, you're coming up, you're going to Elio's. I'd love to. So, Chad. Elio DiPaolo, who I know yeah. you know, the, yeah, wrestler, your business partner in the OVW, Chad. Chad um, he got to go up this year and meet all those people. Yeah. And now the OVW is going to have an award yeah. named after Elio DiPaolo. But you have to go. Um, I told him in advance that – I told Dennis and Elio that uh, we were
0: going to do this podcast today. They really? were really excited. Listen, and it – Elio, it, it, like people don't understand with wrestling. When I broke in, right, it was it was a very closed, very secular business, and it was all it. It, it was easier to be a main man in the mafia than it was to become a professional wrestler. God's honest truth, because it was that tight, and the reason why was because if you were brought somebody in, it was like the mob. Like you were res- held responsible for everything that those people did, and that would affect the way you make a living, the way you feed your family. Um, you know uh and to this day like i'm still known as the guy that trained me i'm 56 years old i'm known as his kid that was a term because it meant you were responsible for him that's your kid you know and it, it go to see elio de Paolo and the you know to to go to a place like that and for them to recognize me would be uh, for me is off the charts because it, it, it means something in a different world you know uh um it just—you can't explain it. I mean, yeah, it would be so awesome to to do that, you know, because it was there were set of rules, there's set of conduct. It, you know, I, I'm telling you, it's just like the mob. The mob, you know, and the levels of respect and, you know, to be able to go and see something like that would be incredible. Last one. What's your yeah. favorite movie? A Christmas Story. I love that movie. I love that movie. You know why? It's the greatest movie I've ever done. Here's why. If you're an adult, you can relate to being. You know, from the adult's perspective, if you're a kid, you relate to when you used to be a kid and you got you get it from start to finish. There's nothing on that movie. You don't understand why people are doing what they're doing. And you can't identify that your parents didn't do something like that to some degree along the way. That's a great point.
1: Al, I can't thank you enough for oh, your thank time you. here. What a blessing this was to have this conversation. Fascinating conversation that hit so many different levels. Um, <laughs> we had dinner. Maybe six months ago, and, and I earmarked it at that time. I said, I have to get this dude on my podcast because he's fascinating on a number of levels. I, I wanted he- to focus on wrestling because, you know, we'll both push this out through our social media. Sure, it's yeah. it's sports fans. It's wrestling fans. But, man, people are just going to get so many nuggets. And, and, and some unbelievable real-life lessons on chasing dreams and work ethic in and passion and not having a plan B. Just incredible nuggets. I can't thank you enough, brother. No,
0: thank, you. thank you. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. A lot of
1: fun. Thanks, Al. This episode has been brought to you by Collar and Elbow. Former WWE superstar Al Snow has started a wrestling-branded clothing company called Collar & Elbow, using high-quality clothing and designs that appeal to both the wrestling and non-wrestling fan. Go to collarandelbowbrand.com today and check them out while using their code SNOWMAN for 10% off anything you may purchase. This episode has also been brought to you by OVW and Al Snow Wrestling Academy. OVW has been called the Harvard of professional wrestling with over 200 alumni who have went on to have successful careers in major entertainment companies all over the world. That reputation is even more true as OVW is now the only state-accredited trade school in the world for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcasting under the Al Snow Wrestling Academy banner. Students can learn the art of professional wrestling as well as the backstage and business skills to one day own and operate their own company. Go to ovwrestling.com and aswa.live for more information. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode. This episode has been brought to you by Valari Restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, located on Frankfort Avenue. And they're open right now from 4 to 8 p.m. daily for curbside pickup or free in-home delivery of all your Valari favorites. They have our priority focus right now on a very safe and clean operation from start to finish using only the safest hygienic practices. Partners Josh Moore and Jonathan Tarullo are offering most of their denou menu and nightly specials with extended hours for Easter Sunday. The current menu is on the website at valari-restaurant.com. To place your orders, please call daily starting at 12 p.m. at 502-894-4446.